Chuck and Julie, bringing you the truth straight up. I'm Julie Hagan, and I'm working at... An Emmy-winning former investigative reporter, a highly successful trial attorney, and publisher of a major Denver-area newspaper. They've been partners as talk show hosts and in marriage as parents for over 10 years, providing thought-provoking information, opinion, and entertainment live, local, and interactive. Everyone's voice is always welcome on The Chuck and Julie Show. And happy party Friday, everybody. Chuck Bonneville and Julie Hayden, The Chuck and Julie Grassroots Show, Truth Straight Up. The show brought to you by Mountain West Wellness, Advanced Acupuncture and Chinese Medicine. In fact, Chuck went to see Dr. Jack Schaefer there earlier today. Just me today. Chuck has a bunch of business conference calls and things like that. Um, We've got a great show today. Um, As soon as we get him on the phone, we're going to have Dr. Andrew Boston. He's an author, and he's one of the original guys who... um, um, was opposed to all of the government restrictions on COVID. Um, and, um, oh, we've got him with us. He was, so I guess I'll, I'll skip that introduction. Reminder that we're going to be talking, um, at 3.30 to, um, Dagny Vanderjack, the district attorney candidate in the 23rd district. And then, oh my gosh, what a day in court cases against Trump. But I want to start off with, um, Dr. Andrew Boston. He is, he's an author, um, and, um, Apparently, Doctor, we recently testified in sort of a government case, or not a government case, but a case about the uh, mRNA vaccine and kids. And I know you were one of the original people who was originally pointing out that the science did not support all of the restrictive COVID lockdowns and things like that. So, first off, welcome to the show. Appreciate your time. Oh, thanks for having me on. So why don't you t- talk to me a little bit? Let's kind of ba- go back and um, and and talk about some of the things that you were saying and getting banned for saying. Just so you know, we too, Chuck, we got kicked off of YouTube for saying that kids shouldn't wear masks. But, you know, that was years ago. Now everyone knows that it was completely ridiculous. But why don't you talk about your position early in the COVID era, so to speak, and, and how you came to that position? Um, yeah, so... Um... My, I, I retired, uh, you know, during COVID, but uh, I had a, you know, about a 30-year academic career um, as a, as an, as an internist and as an epidemiologist and clinical trialist. And um, I think, uh, you know, pretty, pretty early on, uh, there was, there was some data from California, both Northern California and Southern California, uh, where they finally were able to take advantage of of some of the um, antibody testing for COVID to see, to see how many people were actually infected as, as opposed to those um, just rushing to the hospital and, you know, in, 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 in dire straits or whatever, whatever was driving them to the hospital. Um, this was, these were the, these were the, uh, this was the, really the, the true impact of the disease, which was, you know, yeah. which was contagious and spread throughout the population. Um, and it, the data were actually very reassuring. Uh, the, the, so if you, you get a, you get an estimate, something called the infection fatality ratio. It's yeah. just simply the number of, uh, of COVID deaths divided by the total number of infections. And you get, you get, uh, an estimate of the total number of infections again by, by just, uh, Screening people, uh, including the large number who were just asymptomatic or very limited symptoms, and seeing if they've developed antibodies to COVID. It's 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 a it's 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 a it's a tried and true technique. It's called zero prevalence. Um, okay. You know, it's it, it's not perfect, but it gives a much better estimate than just looking at the 
at the at the more restricted population that comes to the hospital. And and so what those data were were finding, and they were they were really confirmatory. They 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 validated each other. One was a big sample in LA County, and the other was uh, in Santa Clara County. Um, by reputable, you know, epidemiologists, and uh, they were finding that the infection fatality ratio was nowhere near what right. we were getting from these hospital theories. Uh, it was about, you know, up to tenfold lower, right. um, and it and it just was the first signal to me that you know this is looking a lot more like um, uh, an influenza season, maybe a more severe one, maybe sort of the timing was a little off. Uh, you came a little later than you would get a typical influenza season, um, and uh, it just it didn't it didn't seem to be the great terror that was uh, you know that was being um, uh, yeah I didn't understand I didn't I didn't I didn't I mean I understood the hysteria initially but once we started to see data like these um, I got very skeptical uh, and 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 frankly reassured and the other thing that was very clear and even the Chinese as much as you can trust them uh, were reporting this early on is um, how mild the disease it was in children. Right. Uh, and 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 so and then and then as the spring progressed, we saw a whole experiment play out in Sweden, uh, where their uh, public health uh, officials, particularly Anders Tegnell, um, decided that they were you know they were going to they were going to practice uh, some uh, preventative measures, but they were not going to shut society down. They certainly were not going to shut down. Um, primary, you know, in secondary schools, certainly I think it goes up to age 16 in Sweden. Those schools had face-to-face -face education throughout that spring wave. Uh, they, the teachers, uh, you know, had to be there. The kids, uh, the Scandinavians just do not have a strong belief in masking, period. So um, masking was not required of the kids. Uh, and, and frankly, I think it was, it was actually discouraged. Um, and lo and behold, uh, they didn't have a single fatality in their entire school system that that um, that during that first wave. And they had a minimal number of hospitalizations. And most of the kids that were hospitalized, that small number, um, had you know congenital uh, you know uh, conditions that they brought with them into the world, uh, and, and lung conditions, uh, conditions that affected their brain. Um, the, the, the healthy kids were certainly not winding up uh, in the hospital, even when they got COVID. Um, what? And, 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 then, and then the teachers as a profession, and they're exposed to those kids, um, right. they had no higher uh, morbidity rates and hospitalization rates than any other profession in, 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 in Sweden. And so when you, you would think, and, and, and I, this is going to probably be a political question, but you, you would think that this would be the kind of information that everyone would be like hurrying to get out, right? To say, hey, guess what? After that initial kind of couple of week, month long, whatever panic, there's good news, right? Um, but instead, right. you and other people, us included, were crushed for trying to say right. that. Am, am I right there? Well, it became, yeah, it became, Julie, it became, it became transparently political. Yes. There's no question about it. I, 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 I mean, you know, you can even look at, uh, I was just, because uh, I'm, uh, I'm writing an essay about a, a case that I, I can't go into too much detail because, you know, all the final, of oh, dregs on forever, these damn legal cases, and the final paperwork is in. I mean, we have the judge, the transcript of the judge and everything. It's a case in Tennessee that I was, uh, I gave expert testimony on, and we finally won. It's a, it's a vaccine case. So, 
Um, I'll be able to share the information in, in detail, I hope, next week. But okay. but but the point but the point was in 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 working on this essay I'm writing about the case, I went back uh, just this morning and I was looking at statements that both um, Rochelle Walensky, who you know was the head of infectious disease at one of the Harvard programs, and then as you know became head of the CDC, uh, and then Fauci, you know, was there yeah. forever. He was there for- uh, they were they were making very negative comments and certainly very cautionary comments about the vaccine. And then you see a switch. You see the election in November 2020 and the preparation for the, the new administration, the, the Biden administration. And they turn on a dime and become these, you know, totalitarian zealots about about vaccine mandates and you know, calling people out and calling out institutions and censoring people in the medical fields that, you know, might have disagreed with them. Um, so I'm just left to, you know, I don't mean to sound too cynical, but I think a lot of this was, was very political. Now, there was there was a population, particularly with the early waves, that was at, at, uh, at highest risk, but those were the institutionalized elderly. Right. Um, and once you get outside of that population or other very, very frail populations, re- regardless of, you know, particularly, particularly, um, wildly uncontrolled diabetes and, and obesity. Right. Um, and, and these were things that we had been warned about for, for decades that, you know, this, this glut of diabetes in the population was going to be susceptible to respiratory vi- viruses and, and respiratory bacterial infections. And, you know, so we saw some of that. But once you get out outside of these high-risk populations and you look at the generally healthy population under 70, um, you saw an infection fatality ratio of about one in a thousand. And that's very flu-like, you know. So the risk was, the risk was really confined to those people that, uh, were elderly and riddled with comorbidity. Um, and, and the working population, you know, could have just marched through this. And and should have as they do now. Right. No one pays attention right. now as, as as they do as they do now. Well, the but, virus, no, but, but the virus did. It, it appears to have attenuated, uh, you know, uh, well, somewhat. Yes. And, and, and 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 but that's also, a, you know, a, a natural history of, of viruses and, you know, wherever the heck this came from. And uh, but, it, it you know, whatever, you know, whatever its origins. And, you know, it yeah. looks it looks like it was tinkered with uh, it, 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 it in nature. It actually behaves like historical coronaviruses. You know, there was um, in the late 19th century. Uh, it's now been done. It's now been re-examined by by uh, it's sort of uh, genetic uh, tracing and 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 um, looking at ancestral strains and and um, these these are analyses that can be done um, now biochemically. And it looks like so there was something called the Russian flu in the late uh, in the late 1890s. Uh, and it, it was called the Russian flu, but it, it, it's now believed to, to be a, a coronavirus that circulates as one of the non-SARS uh, cold-causing coronaviruses that okay. kids in particular get twice a year. But it was it was pretty aggressive when it, it, it apparently they think it jumped from uh, cows to humans, so it was a true what they call zoonosis, okay. and but naturally. And, and, and it, it, it wreaked, it, you know, it wreaked some havoc when it, when it was a new virus that had just, you know, begun infecting humans. Um, and, um, but it, again, it, it targeted mostly the, the vulnerable populations. O- over, over generations now, it's attenuated into this virus that, 
Occasionally you hear about it, uh, there'll be an outbreak in a nursing home or something like that. It's, it's, it's uh, OK3, I think, is the, is the, 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 the coronavirus that, that it's called now. Um, but, but at any rate, you know, there is a natural history to evolving towards less virulent forms, typically. I mean, there are exceptions right. to that. And, and, and so that certainly by the time we get to Omicron with SARS-CoV-2, I mean, that clearly seems to be what happened, more infectious, but, but you know, the flip side being uh, much less virulent. Uh, right. and, and, and so now to be chasing these, um, yeah, and by the way, for, you know, for generations, we've never developed uh, vaccines for these cold-causing coronaviruses that were non-SARS. Right. Um, and, you know, it's the whole history of developing vaccines for respiratory viruses, particularly the kind that mutates so aggressively, like the RNA viruses, um, it's just one, it's about 75 years of disappointment. I mean, you know, none of these viruses have been particularly effective. The influenza vaccines, uh, I'm sorry, none of these vaccines, the influenza vaccines have, have, uh, have, have very limited uh, efficacy uh, and, and, and frankly none in randomized controlled trials in terms of preventing hospitalizations and deaths. And that's the other thing that I learned. You know, coming as an outsider, not an infectious disease epidemiologist or clinical trialist, it's appalling what what these vaccine trials get away with they, you know mm-hmm. they, it's like they're moving in a parallel track in the opposite direction in, in, in you know in my total you know four decades really I started out as an allied health professional the whole emphasis for evidence-based medicine has been when you do these large randomized control, controlled trials for whatever it is for a new diabetes drug a lipid lowering drug an antihypertensive drug you have to establish its benefit in terms of clinical outcomes. Did it, did it prevent diabetes deaths? Did it prevent diabetes hospitalizations? We haven't had a, a trial like that for a vaccine. Um, I'll ask you to guess. When was the last trial we had that, that looked at preventing hospitalizations deaths from, from a, an infectious disease with a vaccine? I don't never. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> the night, the night, the nineteen fifty four polio trial, the original oh, thought vaccine. Well, let me. That's let me get dig dig, dig dig deeper in that because to me that gets to there is so much about the whole COVID thing that is just insidious and and just it's, it's going to be hard for you to be to out cynical me and and our audience. But but to me, the truly, I think I'm going to go ahead and use the word evil that has come out of this was this whole push for vaccines, the whole, I mean, I read Alex Behrens and I'm sure, you know, he's at the New York times reporter. Yeah, no, former. Yeah, no I, 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 we, we, we've collaborated at times. And, and the, the other one that I've become, uh, you know, quite familiar with and friendly with is David Zweig, who, who adjudicated my, my so-called, you know, Twitter suspension. Twitter. Right. And, 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 and found, you know, the pin tweet at my, uh, at my, uh, <laughs> at my Twitter account or X account now. And everything that they accused me of, they had adjudicated was, it was incorrect. And yet they kept the suspension in place until, until David got hold of my file when Musk took over and, and said, well, why is he still suspended? If you, if you went through his, uh, you know, his yeah, dossier. He was right. You're in old uh, East Germany or something and, <laughs> and, and, and determined that, that, you know, whatever he said, he not only was entitled to say, but he was correct. Right. And, you know, they had well, no answer for that. It was a preview of oh, the previous, you know, the previous. Maybe we should call it get us back on YouTube. Right. Because no, you're, well, the, the whole thing. And, but, but I know he has pointed out this Alex experience and, and you too, obviously that 
said that we don't we're not taking a look at all of the harm that this these vaccines and they're not even really vaccines as i understand but the the, the harm that they cause right because it seems to me if there is really a risk of myocarditis which it seems to me there is then yeah, i think is, they should is, be telling all particularly the- in young healthy men you know exactly <laughs> and they need to be warning and, and these by, guys and, and by the way and by the way julie we saw that in right. a much smaller scale with the with the um with the uh, 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 smallpox vaccine, you know, after 9/11, there was, there, you know, there was a there was a the reintroduction of, of smallpox vaccination in in the military and in and in uh, a cadre of health professionals that 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 volunteered to help the military, you know, should they actually, you know, if if a biological weapon was used and and it was smallpox, and and this cohort, you know, uh, grew to about I think at least a million people that were vaccinated. And lo and behold, it wasn't common, but they there was there was there was a a um, a um, smallpox vaccine associated myopericarditis, yeah. uh, and so it's it, you know we've we've seen this before. Um, the difference was that that they they didn't you know they they acknowledged it and and there was some re, you know reimbursement. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, it, so it, it, yeah, a lot of this was shocking to me, but, but just, just in terms of, just in terms of, of, of what's expected and not expected in these basic randomized controlled trials of vaccines, it's, it's ridiculous. And, and I'm seeing now, you know, people that have been in the field that I, you know, I, I respect, um, that are vaccine epidemiologists, and some have done trials in Africa. There's, there's an outstanding Danish investigator, Christine Sabel Ben. But I mean, she's been in this field for 30 years, and it's just in the past year or so she wrote a piece where where she acknowledged that you know they <laughs> there's been an absence of clinical outcomes that these vaccines right. are tested against. And and I'm thinking to myself, I, I mean, I'm glad that she's she 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 spoke up now, but you know, how did they get away with this for all these years? Right. Well, yeah, I guess I can to go with money, but, but, but before, well, I mean, let me ask you about that. I mean, you know, you read these things and it, and I think it's right that you look at all the pharmaceutical ads and did you see the Pfizer ads, you know, during the Super Bowl? I mean, you look at these ads and they're they not didn't, they didn't mention, I, No, I didn't see it because I can't stand those ads, but, uh, okay. but I, I mean, they did, did, uh, my understanding was that they didn't, uh, they didn't even mention the vaccine, right? No, they just talked well, about how they? great. It's no, well, it was more of a touchy feely kind of like what oil companies do sometimes, right? Where they talk about no, but, how but they didn't mention the product. They didn't mention no, the product no. that's made them the most money. Right. They just talked about how wonderful Pfizer is because they care. I mean, and you got but, Travis Kelsey, you know, getting, I, I mean, know, so, I know. I think it's right, you know, right the tight end moron otherwise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, for a number of reasons. Well, let me ask you then. So because you, you know, you, you, you um, did testify in this case. What do you think people should know about this mRNA? Because they're still pushing it. Right. And I still know people who. Uh, yeah, it, every it, time. it's 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 not ready. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I would say. It's just not ready. As a matter of fact, um, uh, Alex reported on this and the Epic Times reported on it independently. Um, there was a um, Epstein-Barr virus, you know, the virus that, that's believed to cause mononucleosis, a vaccine trial. I, I'm Frankly, I'm not really sure why they developed the vaccine for Epstein-Barr virus, you know, mononucleosis, whatever. I mean, it, it can be, it can debilitate kids, I, adolescents, I guess. But, it, you know, anyway, so they're, it, but they're using an mRNA platform. It's not something that generates, a, you know, a spike protein. Obviously, it's a totally different virus. But it's got the same delivery uh, system with these lipid nanoparticles. Right. 
they stopped the trial at a relatively early, I don't know if it's phase two or something, uh, because in a, I think it was only about uh, less than 400 uh, you know, young, young people that had been enrolled, they, they had one case of myocarditis. And, 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 and they, but they just, they stopped it. I don't know if they're going to, you know, what they're going to do, they, if it's going to restart up, but, you know, I, I think there are issues, I think there are issues with the platform and, right. you know, well, am I, right I, I, think, that... I think it needs a lot more, you know, I think it needs a lot more developmental work. I mean, it's produ- you know, proteins are being produced that they never predicted, you know, it's not, right. it wasn't just the spike protein. I mean, there's a whole gamut of, of, of issues, uh, and um, you know they can't just blow them off. They, I think they, wow. they need to go back to the to, to the to the laboratory and and the animal testing and you know. Well, and I think you try to figure out ready. how to help if people did because what, as I understand it, what seems to be the problem, like you said, it's this delivery system and that the what I don't even really know what this is, but the lipid nanoparticles they migrate. Maybe, maybe. I mean, it, you know, it was thought that you know that it was producing you know, at least for the COVID vaccines, the, the mRNA vaccines, it was producing too much spike protein and the, and the, and you know, but but it's it, look, there were so many basic things that that were not true. It's it it, it it's getting way beyond just the injection site. Um, it's, it's lingering much longer than was thought. Uh, there's just so many issues now at this point. And, and then look, in, in terms of the COVID vaccine, right. I mean, the, the, the disease has attenuated to the point where, I mean, are we going to go around and, and, you know, then why not, you know, why aren't there de- vaccines for the four circulating coronaviruses that kids get, kids get twice a year. Right. I, I, it's just, well, it's, you know, it's, I think it's out of control. Actually. It is. It was about a month ago. I was um, asked to, I was a, a TV reporter for years and somebody's put it in, they covered the John Bonnet Ramsey case. And somebody was in town shooting a Netflix documentary on it and they were going to interview me. And, and so they said <laughs> I needed to bring, oh, it was fun. Um, I don't know when it comes out, but they, they said I needed to bring um, proof of vaccination and a recent COVID test. And I was never vaccinated. And I told them, I just said, well, I don't do that. And they were like, right. oh, okay. And I was kind of like, why are you even asking for that? And But it was, and they didn't care, right? They said, okay, fine, right. you don't actually need that. But it is some lawyer somewhere, I'm sure, is telling Netflix, you got to you gotta ask this, right? And well, look, look, I don't it, know how it, he'd it, back it, away from this. It's the, what's ridiculous is, is that, uh, um, you know, it, this is not a new, this, this failure to, to have provide really anything particularly useful in terms of, uh, uh, a vaccine targeting a respiratory virus, particularly an, 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 MR, uh, an RNA virus, it is 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 not a new story. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I mean, none of this should have, should have surprised anybody. And the fact that you know, there's a very biased way they look at these uh, short-term results. You know, they they eliminate all the infections that occur. Um, prior to the person reaching the state of, of, of maximal or optimal vaccination, you know, which, which uh, you know, if you come back after your first shot three weeks later, and then, then you, you wait another two weeks after that, I mean, you're talking about a five-week window where the infections that accumulate then, which are very clinically relevant, um, are ignored. And, 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 and the, so the counting system, I mean, is off. A randomized trial means that, you know, as soon as you're randomly assigned, I mean, I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's done for, for statistical reasons. If, if, you, if you were in a blood pressure trial 
and you were you were randomly assigned, and and you're being escorted now by the research coordinator down to the pharmacy to actually get you know your your first series of pills. And someone on a gurney smashes into you, and you know, God forbid, you, you suffer a lower leg fracture. That counts as an event because oh. you've already been randomized. Uh, and, oh. You know, and and the reason we do that is because a lot of random things happen in life, <laughs> and you have to account for all of them. You uh-huh. know? And 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 the idea that you're going to just you're going to just start counting infections at some arbitrary time point is just ridiculous. And in fact, oh. when some analyses have been done applying real randomized control trial standards, um, there's very little difference even in the minor infections uh, early on. Well, to me, and it seems like what it, what it boils down to is they don't actually want to know the answers. They just want to be able to scare people, to silence people well, they don't like, and to yeah, make us buy their stuff. Well, well, I mean, you know, I, I understand, you know, in this case, the, the, you know, the, 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 this was thought to be, you know, whatever, the, the 1918 flu and, you know, right. there's nothing like it. Uh, and they were rushing, they were rushing right. something out that had been in the pipeline for, for a long time, you know. Uh, but in the end, it's no excuse. But, but, but the problems, like I'm saying, the problems antedate the COVID vaccine. Right. Uh, you know, you know, look at what was and, and also this, you know, as a society, I, I, I don't think we function the way we should. The 1954 trial when polio was still real, a real scourge in, in kids yeah. um, was was recruited in I think it's about four months in, in 1954 um, and then ran the trial through the end of 1954 and then published the paper early in 1955 in JAMA. They, they enrolled 1.3 million kids uh, and then another 500,000 that formed this observational group. That's a study of 1.8 million kids where the recruitment is completed in four months uh, in, by, with, with punch cards. You know, to talk about computers, yeah. <laughs> punch cards. Yeah. And, 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 what, and what did it do? Well, it showed that, that the polio vaccine prevented about 375 cases of crippling polio. Uh, that's a trial, but right. it took it took 1.8 million kids to come yes. up with a with a result like that. When we studied the the, the coronavirus vaccines, particularly the the mRNA vaccines, all of them lumped together included 27,000 kids, and and the studies by in the age groups like five to 11, the initial Pfizer study was about 2,300. And and lo and behold, in the short term, with that bias counting system, it prevented about a dozen cases of sniffles. Yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, there were no hospitalizations to look at. Yeah. We've lowered the bar on right. standards that we had 70 years ago. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, and I think one of the, and I've only got a few more minutes with you, but I think one of the things that's interesting that's happened is I know, for instance, I have, we have a 12 year old son, right? And so for the annual stuff, they're like, do you want this vaccine? And, and I, I'd be honest, I had never put a ton of thought into vaccines, right? I mean, we just did the regular scheduled vaccines, but this last time I said, no. I said, I don't want any of them. I said, because I thought, I'm like, I don't believe right now very much of what you people say, um, or, you know, and, and it's, and I think that's a scary thing too, that when you scary. have this. That is scary because I think, I think, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, comfortable any longer 
you know, with, with the, with the uh, tightness and aggressiveness of the schedule. I think they could be spread out more. But mm-hmm. some of the early, you know, the MMR, the childhood vaccines, right. you know, have, have a track record of, of, right. of helping kids and, pre- and preventing, you know, uh, preventable, uh, uh, you know, viral diseases. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, so I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think, I don't think the baby should be thrown out with the bath. No. Um, and even there, you know, it, 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 you know, because, and, and pediatricians, I understand they're, they, they're afraid the kid, you know, won't come back. The family won't come back. So they tend to cram them together. I mean, they, they, they probably uh-huh. should be, should be spread out um, a little bit more to, in case there are interactions and rare side effects, but, yeah, but it is, it is, it is, they, the COVID vaccine and the pushing it, particularly on, on children where this was such a mild disease. I mean, influenza is, right. it, it had a work course in children. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, um, they've, they've done themselves a disservice, but, but I, but I, I think, I think the whole system needs to be uh, reevaluated and restructured. Like I said, it, it's like, it's like they've been on a parallel track going in the opposite direction. Everything in outside of vaccination is moving towards you've got to prove your product, whatever it is, whether, it, whether it's a device or a drug, you've got to prove it against the clinical outcome. You, right. you can't just use a biomarker, you know, and, and it, 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 that's not what's happening with vaccines. To this no. day. And it's just I think it's just ridiculous. Listen, I'm gonna. I have to let you go, but can we get you back? You said you know you're going to be publishing this essay once you get that out, and you could talk more about it. Can we get? Because I don't yeah. know. We have the comments. People yeah, love so you. I, I I I hope I hope it I hope um yeah I hope it gets published. I have a I have a potential venue that that was interested in publishing it. I just have to get it finished, but I do have to wait for okay. the um you know for the final uh, paperwork to be signed off on before I can you know I can no. really say much more about it. <laughs> Oh, um, that's right. Well, all I can say is, is, is we won, you know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then that's a good thing. Well, doctor, thank you so much for your time and information. You've been wonderful and we'll get you back on as soon as we can. Okay. Take care. Thank you. That's Dr. Andrew Boston, Boston. Um, and it sounds great information. I'm sorry. I didn't have all of the time to read all of the comments there, but yeah, um, it's, it's astonishing the stuff that's coming out and thank goodness for people like him who are able to push back um, and to, to stay strong and not just cave into the pressure too. Um, we're going to switch gears here. And again, well, we still have time. We have to talk about, talk about corrupt judges, talk about bizarre cases, the Fannie Willis case. Um, but I want to go now, cause I think I saw her join us on zoom. Dagny Vanderjack. Dagny, are you there on zoom? You are. All right. Yes, I am. <laughs> this is Dagny Vanderjack. We had um, George Brockler on Monday, who's running for DA in the new 23rd Congressional District. Dagny is also running for the Republican nomination. So we're having her on to talk to her, too. So, Dagny, thank you for your time on this. We call this Party Friday. Um, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. My honor to be here. Um, let me, um, first, I guess, cause I don't, George Brockler, everybody knows George Brockler. Um, and, um, not everybody knows you. So let me go ahead and just ask you an open-ended question and first tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your background and why you decided to run for DA. 
Absolutely. So uh, I am originally from Europe, actually. I came to the U.S. when I was 18 years old on an exchange year. Uh, later, I was lucky enough to have met my husband, Grant. We got married, went to law school together at Denver University, and we have four beautiful kids. We have lived uh, first in Arapahoe County, and then a couple of years ago, we moved to Douglas County. And throughout this entire time, after we graduated law school, we have been practicing law. So I graduated law school very quickly. After private practice, I actually became a prosecutor for the 18th Judicial District. Okay. Got my experience that way. And then I moved on to private practice. Who was the DA there when you were there? Uh, Carol Chambers. Okay. So, okay. So you were prosecutor and then in private practice, what kind of practice do, do you do a little bit of everything? Do you do, what, what, what kind of practice do you have? So over the years, I've been now a, a attorney for almost 20 years. I think I have done everything except bankruptcy and family law. <laughs> and now do you do criminal law as well? Yes. So criminal okay. defense, uh, everything that has to do with litigation and a lot of the civil cases, like any type of contract dispute, uh, let's say probate over a will or a trust, uh, those are most likely the cases that go into litigation. Okay. Um, so you've had a lot of time, it sounds like. Unlike our Attorney General, Phil Weiser, you've actually been in the courtroom, it, it sounds like, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I actually, there's a funny story. When uh, I was a prosecutor, still, my nickname was the Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> now, how and is that? Think, well, because I think I once I made up my mind about how a case was supposed to go, I think it was very hard to convince me. I think the evidence that defense counsel would have to submit uh, would have to be truly exculpatory to offer a more softer plea deal. So I was very tough. And I remember one time I went on vacation. And so my docket partner took over my cases. And when I came back, half of them were gone. And I said, what happened to my cases? And he said, well, I just told them this is it uh if you don't plead guilty this time next next week she's back and it's going to be much worse for you <laughs> so that's how i became known as the terminator so and so you've had experience on, on both sides you've been a prosecutor and then you've been uh, you know in terms of qualifications for the district attorney's office and that, and then on the defense side as well right Absolutely. Right. And and both sides play by the same rules. I I think prosecutors have obviously like additional rules of ethics and requirements because their case is not really about winning. Their case is to bring justice into the system. Uh, defense counsel has a slightly different role because it doesn't really matter if somebody is guilty or innocent. You are supposed to defend them. Uh, to the best of your ability. That is our uh, adversarial system. And you do have the constitution that you need to use and make sure that you hold the government to a certain standard. So I think over those those years of experience, I've seen uh, really good prosecutions. I've seen persecutions, which I do not like to see, <laughs> obviously. Yes. And I've, uh, I've made really good contacts with uh, other defense attorneys, other defense practitioners. And I think I have a very good insight what we can do as prosecutors to make this go smoother, but still hold people accountable and give victims the justice that they deserve. Why then, why then deciding to run for DA in this new judicial district? Well, I think DA candidates are really not a dime and a dozen, okay. uh, because you have to have a little bit of 
political acumen, first of all. And my husband and I, we have been politically involved since over two decades. So we went to state assemblies and we went to county assemblies. We've helped with campaigns. So that is helpful because I am not going blindly into it. I've seen campaigns. I know what work it entails. And then, of course, as a prosecutor, you have to be licensed for at least five years. And it would be good to have experience as a prosecutor (laughs) and defense counsel. And, you know, sometimes people run from private practice. They've never seen a prosecutorial office from the inside. They might not have the business experience either. And I think I combine everything like the the best of all worlds, because as a business entrepreneur, I manage budgets. I have uh, defended and worked with clients from uh, small mom and pop businesses to Fortune 500 companies. And I have helped them with everything from managing their budget to managing their HR to human resource issues, any type of employment law, any type of investments. So I think that brings a lot of that stewardship over financial affairs that I can make work for the office as well, because it's an administrative position too. I need to make sure that our $12 million budget in Douglas County alone is appropriately allocated where we get the best results for our for our uh, dollars. Okay, and we've got a bunch of questions here from folks. First, let me get to, I, I'm going to say, Barney, the, I want to ask you about Fannie Willis, the Fulton County DA, but from Charlene, do you support Trump? And has Tom Tancredo endorsed you? Yes, I do support Trump. And Tom Tancredo, uh, we go way back in our friendship. I think we found a picture from 15 years ago. And he was the one who introduced a bad habit of mine. I smoke cigars once a year because of Tom Tancredo. <laughs> so, so did he endorse you? or has he? Yes, he, does. he did endorse me. Okay. And then let me ask you about um, about this. Oh, okay. Well, let me ask you about Fanny. Fan, I mean, this whole... And this is actually a broader question, not just about the Georgia DA, but one of the things, and we talk about this a lot on our show, um, my husband, Chuck, who's busy right now, but he's a lawyer. I was a TV reporter, covered cops and crimes for decades. Um, and you see a lot of, as you pointed out, persecution, particularly the kind of things that are happening with, with Donald Trump. And you look at some of the stuff. So a district attorney, as we all know, can use their power for good and can use their power for evil and kind of everything in between. What are your thoughts on that? And, and particularly what's going on, say, like in New York with some of the persecutions of Trump and in Georgia and Fulton County with the persecutions of Trump? Well, it is definitely unfortunate because we do see uh, what I believe are political persecutions of uh, elected officials. And I think it will set a very dangerous precedent, right? Because if this is how we can treat the former president of the United States, where are we going from here? Because eventually, and hopefully with this election year, the the composition will flip and hopefully we will experience a red wave. I definitely work for that. So red (laughs) wave will come. And then what does that spell out for the Democrats? Are the Republicans going to be now emboldened to use the same judicial system against the Democrats? I I just, it's, it's disheartening. It should not take place. What about, did you watch, I know you're probably a lawyer. So did, did you watch any of Fannie Willis's testimony yesterday? 
I did not. I was actually in the hearing. Plus, I had four campaign events. So I am behind on that. <laughs> I literally had four campaign events. I didn't come home until 9 p.m. It's not fair. I know my husband was he was just saying he's never seen anything like that in, in court um, again. Well, let me ask you, I mean, in terms of I know George Brockler would say, you know, he's got all the experience. He's run a DA's office. Um, he's tried all kinds of cases. How would you, and you kind of answer this in terms of you kind of bring from a very rounded kind of position there, but how would you just, I mean, how do you campaign against a guy like George Brockler then who does have all of this experience and probably is going to have a ton of establishment backing? Well, I think the big distinction, let's make one observation. I believe in term limits too. So basically, if George Brockler wins this office again, effectively, he could potentially serve 16 years. Is this what our constituents want? And I think the uh, district attorney's office has a rule that you can run for two terms, four years each. He served eight, term, eight years in office. Then his protege, John Kellner, he's serving currently. So basically, we're taking that power scepter and we're taking it back to George Brower. I have a problem with that. And I think so do many other voters in the grassroots that I speak to, because even though it's legal for him, this is a new judicial district, it's still the same county, Douglas County being the majority of the votes, Albert and Lincoln. So it's up to the voters. But I have I have a philosophical problem with this. I also do not like politicians who campaign for one office and then we spend so much money and effort to get them into the office and then they run for another office and use the district attorney's office as a stepping stone. And that's what George Brocker also did. He ran for attorney general. He ran for governor and then changed to attorney general. And I believe such an important office in my backyard needs somebody full-time who will dedicate themselves. And I pledge to the voters that this is the only office I seek. This is not a stepping stone for me. This is the pinnacle of my career. And that's how I want to serve. What would you, would you characterize yourself as, oh, somebody's got their hand raised, so as a um, grassroots or a rhino? No, that's that's just me. No, would you, how, how would you, establishment grassroots? I mean, you use the word grassroots there. What do you? Yes, yes. I believe I am a very conservative grassroots Republican, and I am very disappointed that over the two decades, what we believed we were central Republican Party, all of a sudden, my husband and I, we find ourselves moved to the right. What people say, oh, you are very center, like the center right Republican, extreme now. It's like, since when am I an extreme Republican? So that's puzzling <laughs> to me. Uh, but I guess if, if we still believe in the Constitution, that makes us extreme, right? If we dare to criticize laws and uh, are anti-Constitution, that makes us extreme. So, yeah. Julie, no, can I ask you but, but, Yep, Charlene, but, go- but hang on a second, yeah, but- Charlene, go ahead, jump on in. Oh, yeah. So anyway, I just want to remind everyone that uh, George Brockler supported California's red flag law. And when Cole West was in the House, they did a runaround, the, the chair of the House, to get that bill onto the floor. That's how bad they wanted it. And I asked George Brockler about that red flag law. I said, he said, it's for the safety of the person. You know, they get an evaluation. I said, why not use the 72-hour holes? where they do actually get the psych evaluation and, and then they're held for 72 hours and, and get treatment if they are dangerous. And he said, uh, they don't use that much anymore. 
And I said, well, it's on the books. Why don't we use it? Why are we creating new laws? He never had an answer for me. He was in on the big push. He's for incremental gun confiscation. I don't care what he says. He talks pretty. And I'm so happy that he has competition because he has been quoted in publications saying the Trump supporters are on the fringe. Yeah. And uh, he's on that show with Billy in the morning. And he says, you know, sometimes I just look at Billy and say, are we in a full moon? You know, referring to Trump supporters that call in. So, yes. Yes. Uh, I, you know, I'm just thrilled, Dagny, that you're running and I want to donate to your campaign. That's all I have to say. That's a, I think that's plenty good, Charlene. <laughs> well, let me give you a chance, hey. Dagny. We only got hey. a few more minutes, but um, oh, hey. does somebody else hey, want to hey, 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 hey. Okay. Okay. Barney's got a question too. Okay. Or a comment. Go ahead, Barney. Okay. Uh, so you're a breath of fresh air and I, I like the accent. Can't help but like the accent. You're obviously a very nice looking woman. I'm sure your husband would agree with me. Who's the better litigator in your family, your husband or you? Who's meaner? <laughs> uh, it's, it's me. It's me. He hates you can the kick his ass. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, you know, that's all we want to hear. That's all we want to hear. It's and actually I agree with for a pretty good marriage because I think I get all the fighting out in court. So when I come home, oh, God, uh, I am you know? the nicest wife ever because I don't that want any awesome. conflicts. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. But I would Thank like you. to say and add to Charlene's point, look at and you would have to agree. Some of these prosecutors, they have a liberal lean anyway. And then they just get twisted. And Brockler just got really twisted. And, you know, I, all that stuff you said about the, you know, lifetime, whatever is true. But look, I don't care if you hate Trump or you love Trump. I watched Fannie Willis. That is not the way a DA is supposed to act. Since when, as it, look, if you're telling the truth, you don't have to stutter. You don't have to stammer. She stammered. She stuttered. She lied through her teeth. So did all these other witnesses. And I've always said to my daughter, I'll vote for a Democrat if he's a decent person or she is a decent person. That's all we need. It's not about partying anymore. Just get us real people and quit, you know, back off on Trump. It's real obvious what you people are doing. And I, you know, not you people, you know, he doesn't what I mean. mean you. Um, yeah, he no, doesn't mean you. No, Denny. But anyway, good luck. Yeah. George Brockler, stick your gun crap up your butt. We're not going to obey you anyway. So even if George Brockler got his way and had 15 million new gun laws, no, George, we're going to tell you to shove it. So I would recommend to you, if you want to stay solid, leave us law-abiding citizens alone. I know what to do if the bad guy ever comes around. I know that it's not over property or whatever, but leave us alone. We're not going to hurt anybody. Go after the bad guys. And by the way, I actually like Marilyn Chambers. She handled a case that I was kind of, well, I was kind of personally involved with. She's awesome. I thought she was awesome. I don't know what you think of her, uh, but Char did ask you, what do you think of Beth McCain and what about Walsh? Um, he's running. A, no, he's not running against her. He's running for Denver. DA. What do you think of John Walsh? Well, I wanted to actually answer uh, about the red flag bill because yes. I think that is a very big distinction. And Barney, between... that's how you go ahead and get off if that's okay. And let her I'll, answer. Yeah, I'll hang up. I'll, I'll okay. get off. Okay. I think that's another really big distinction between George Brocker and I think George Brockler will have to answer for his record. And that is just the truth, because at the end of his term, and I think many pundits believe it was because he wanted to get brownie points with the independents, with the Democrats. He had a very considerable, considerable shift to the middle. 
and with our then elected sheriff Spurlock in Douglas County, they both, but Mr. Brockler specifically, was the drafter of that red flag bill. And I don't care in what type of form it eventually got passed, but the fact that he is a Republican went against the this principled constitutional stance was to me a stab in the back. And I was sitting with my husband and other Republicans in our area as attorneys. We were just gasping, like, how could he disappoint us? And I think that is one more reason why I am running, because as a DA, I think my voters have a right to know that I absolutely believe that is unconstitutional. And it goes against the very tenets of our constitution. And I will refuse as a district attorney to enact those red flag bills in our area, which is my prerogative because we right. do have a lot of discretions to prioritize certain crimes, um, certain policies in the district. And red flag to me is is an assault on our uh, on our civil liberties. Ah, Daniel, that's great. We are, that's perfect. We've run out of time. So let me have you tell Charlene and everyone else how they can find out more about you, how they can donate to you, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So my website is uh, Dagny for DA or vote for Dagny. I'm sorry, I messed it up. It's Dagny for DA. You can find me on Facebook, on social media, but if you would please go to dot vote for Dagny.com and Dagny is spelled D-A-G-N-Y. Okay. Uh, or so you just look, <laughs> look up the campaign in the 23rd judicial district here in Colorado. You'll get that. But vote for Dagny is the website where people can all go to. Okay. Hey, you have been, just so you know, George Brockler, because I see, you know, you have see the chat and the zoom. When we had George on, he was getting hammered. Our audience is not George supporters and they love you. So if that's any, hopefully that's good news for you. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the support because again, it's a truly, it's a grassroots effort. Uh, Any donation helps us with the signage, with getting the message out. And again, to remind the voters that this is your chance to look at the distinctions in the record. What did your elected DA stand for? And is this who you want in office again? It's it's a career politician. That's what I'm afraid of. And I can like George as a person all I want. But as a politician, as my elected DA, I will not vote for him. And I want to offer that alternative to voters. All right. You're amazing. People love you, Daddy. Call us back. Let us know if we can help. You know what I mean? We're happy to have you on. Thank you so much for your time today and, and good luck. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. All right. That's vote for Dagny there. You guys, everybody loved her. Um, and, and, um, I like to hear the things she said there too. Um, hey, that's going to wrap it up for this party Friday. Holy cow. Um, what great guests. I, if I say so myself, we had today. On Monday, Mark Poff is going to be filling in for us. He and John St. Augustine always have a great show. They're going to be talking about, um, we've, last week we touched on it a little bit with the CBI scandal and everything that's going on there. And they always have like such great cases. It cracks me up whenever I listen back to their shows. They just have such great cases. In the meantime, though, thank you to our guests. Thank you to everybody on on Zoom, to Thomas and all the great guys at BBS Radio. Remember, you can get all the shows at chuckandjulie.com. And now it's time for Party Friday. We'll see you all later. Have a great weekend.